Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jared Banks, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. I'm thrilled to be back. I'm excited for the conversation today. Me too. This is going to be a fun one. We've never, I haven't had this conversation with you, but I've also not had this topic on the podcast. And it's my passion and it's your passion. And so this is going to be fun talking about architects, helping architects and why we do what we do. And so that'll be fun for anybody who didn't listen to episode 493 or may not know who Jared is. If you're on the internet, you probably know who Jared is, but Jared Banks is a licensed architect in the state of Washington. He founded Shunome in 2010 to promote the use of Archicad and BIM in residential firms in 2015. Jared evolved Shunome into a hybrid of BIM consultancy and his architecture firm. Located in the Maple Leaf neighborhood of Seattle, Washington, Shunome Architects works with homeowners on custom residential projects with other architects and designers on improving their ARCHICAD usage and BIM integration. Well known for consulting in BIM with the Shunome template, which is free. If anybody's interested, you should go to shunome.com and go grab that template for ARCHICAD or pay whatever you'd like to pay for it. I would encourage you to pay for it. It's well worth the money. I paid for it, by the way, just so everybody knows. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. The last time you were here, Jared, it was episode 493, and we talked all about BIM and my journey, my beginning of my journey to learn BIM. It's called Learning to BIM is the episode. And probably everybody that saw your name on this episode said, oh, another BIM episode, but we're not going to talk about BIM, although we probably will. We're going to talk about our passion for helping architects and helping grow the profession and how and why we do the things we do. And I'm excited about that. During the last episode, you know, we got into that conversation a little bit and we both were passionate about it. And we're like, well, we should just do another episode and focus on that. So welcome back. Thanks. I'm excited to talk about helping other architects. I think to address the BIM thing is when I fell into BIM and we talked about that last time, like it became an opportunity for me to help other people. I like being smarter with how we work and being more efficient and not wasting time and all that. But it's just been a great opportunity to be able to get into a room and talk to other architects and both help people and learn. Because right, when I'm a BIM expert, I can walk into a room and talk with people. 
And then we start talking about Archicad, we talk about BIM, and then it's suddenly like, well, tell me about your business. Like, can your business handle this change to BIM? And suddenly you're not really talking about Archicad anymore. You're talking about fee structure or client management or what kind of documentation and what kind of images you're sharing with the client and why you're sharing that stuff. And that's all the really fun things. Yeah. What we often forget is that BIM is just a tool, right? That it's right. something that should just be part of your process and your, you know, your overall business strategy and the way you do what you do, right? It's just part of what you do. It's like a hammer for a framer, right? It's just the tool that you use to create your art. Right. And I just had a great episode, I think it was last week with Peter Tui, who's using BIM to create VR and he has it integrated throughout his entire process from beginning to end. And it is transforming his firm and transforming the lives of his clients by leveraging it to the extreme, right? And really using it at a really high level. And so it's a really interesting tool, but I love how you've taken that. And because you started serving architects through BIM in episode 493, you talked about how it just became part of who you are, right? That every step of your career, it's been, the goal has been helping is trying to help others succeed. And BIM just happened to be your superpower. That was the thing that sort of helped you right, keep right. helping, right? And so, you know, where does that come from for you? Where does that passion to help others grow and succeed come from? So I think where it comes from is, the viewers can't see this, but you can see, you can see the three bases in the background yeah. on our video chat. Bass guitars. Bass guitar, so I'm a bass player. I've been playing the bass for depending on if you include the time I spent playing the cello for 35 years. I'm not that old. So I've been playing bass my whole life. And as a bass player, you get to do cool stuff, but you're always working with other people, right? You're always a part of a team. You're the rhythm section, you're with the drummer, or whoever is part of the rhythm section, depending on the group. And you're laying the foundation, you're helping other people. But you're rarely ever like the star of the whole show. right? So I think that bass player mentality of... You're always trying to collaborate and be part of creating something cool while also feeling kind of special because you're the bass player. So you're always unique. You're in a giant big band, but there's still just like one bass player. So I think that's probably somewhere we could spend a longer time like dissecting my brain about that. But just the idea of being interested in being a part of a group, but then being like a critical background player. And it's not to say that I don't like show off when I'm playing the bass or like doing good design or whatever, but always being in bands and being that like back person yeah. is just giving you appreciation for wanting to help other people because a good bass player, you're doing cool stuff, you're keeping everything together. And then you're also doing accents and doing things that help highlight everyone else in the band. Yeah, that's a great analogy for what we're talking about as well, because that's a reality for you, but that would be an analogy for me because I don't play an instrument. But what you described is the same for me, right? That my passion comes from helping other people and being the support. And I will be the leader if I need to, yep. right? I will be out there and show my face and put on a show if I need to. I've been doing this podcast for 524 episodes. I do that because I want to change people's lives, Yeah, right? And part of that is that I really want the world to be a better place. But part of it is also selfish because when other people succeed, right, and I get that positive feedback, I literally have an emotional response to that, right? I have a chemical reaction in my brain. Yeah, I get a dopamine hit when somebody says thank you, right? It really makes my day better and it gives me the fuel to continue. Right. One of the things, I'm a sole proprietor, right? So there's only a certain amount of projects I can do in a week, in a month, in a year, in a lifetime. But if I can help other people right. do better architecture, and I don't necessarily mean like better design, but just like yeah. they have a better experience, their clients have a better experience, whatever. It's amazing to think how much of the built environment I can affect by just being helpful. And that's awesome. Very much so, yeah. There's a compound effect, right? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is see drawings that have been produced with the Shunome open template because I can see all the things I've done to support these people. And you're like, wow, like 
they did a good job. They should be so proud. That's their work. But I can see how my influence has helped. So one of my favorite examples is this. I was going for a walk in my neighborhood maybe a year and a half ago, and there was a backyard cottage under construction. And the contractor had the drawings open on the back of their pickup truck. I just walked by to take a peek. They were beautiful, full-color drawings. I knew instantly that that architect who I'd never met before and never had any contact with was using my template. It was like, this is so cool to see that. (laughs) You know, Here's just some random person who I then reached out to. We've had some great conversations. Is just someone who I've been able to help. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. And if you look at how that one connection, right? You created the template. It went to one architect. That architect used it to create architecture that now impacted that client's life and the life of all of the people who that client lives with, right? Their family and all the people that they know, right? So their family and friends have all been impacted by the architecture that was created through the template that you created. And it just goes on and on and on, right? And then that's just one. Right, right. Right. So if your template's been used by hundreds or thousands of architects, then look at the compound effect of that. And that's how I look at this too. That's why I've dedicated myself to Entree Architect and Gable Media, because that's how I can change the world. Like that's, yep. people say, oh, I want to change the world. You know, you'll never be able to change the world. Well, yeah, we can. Yeah. We like literally can change the world. Yeah. And it's not egotistical to think that because all it is, is like thinking of the idea of like spreading joy, right? You're just doing a little thing and you're spreading and you're sharing it and like just, yeah, providing access to more. Yeah. And I look at it from a business point of view that if I can teach architects to build better businesses, then those architects become better architects, right? right? Because now they have the resources and the money and the time to focus on the art that they create as architects. And so my individual focus on individual architects to help them create architecture or or better businesses, help them be better architects, better architects literally change the world with the work they do. And so by me focusing on one architect, multiple times, hundreds of times, thousands of times, I can affect millions of people's lives, right? The world is different, literally, because I was born, right? Right, right. That's amazing. It's cool. That's what keeps me going, right? That's what keeps me coming back to this podcast and what what's helped me grow the community and helped me do all the things that Entree Architect has done. And you do the same with Shunome and the work that you do with architects through BIM, right? I'm focused on business. You're focused on the process of design through ARCHICAD software. And I do stuff as well that's outside of the ARCHICAD purview. So one of the things I'm super proud of is in Seattle, we have a group called Sprout. It's Soul Practitioners Roundtable. It's a really contrived (laughs) name, but basically it's a group of soul practitioners and kind of people who are soul practitioner adjacent because we could do a whole podcast on what does it mean to be a soul practitioner and like when does that line stop when you have a friend who you work with all the time and whatever. So it's a bunch of architects here in the Seattle region. We have a Discord. We talk monthly. We used to do it in person and now we just jump on go to meeting once a month, just like have an hour to talk. We do social events. So we're doing a happy hour the day after we're recording this. And it's just great to be able to talk to other small architects, people who are kind of like little isolated islands and talk about, you know, whatever they need. And I've spent so long helping other architects from the perspective of Archicad really easy to shift that and just not say the a word and talk about you know right. other business things and it's so wonderful to you know have that opportunity it's kind of a small local version of i think what the entree architect facebook group offers right and yeah. just to make you feel good about yourself like the entree architect facebook group is just so wonderful you see all these people they're all like asking all these questions it's fantastic rights architects helping architects And this Sprout group is just like a local version of that where people feel really safe in this small group that they're not going to like, you know, say something that's going to get out there to something. That's an important piece of it is that private safe space. Yeah. Especially in architecture. I mean, for generations, architects have been closed. Yeah. Right. Have been secretive, right? The culture of architecture has always been that way up until recently. Yeah. That's one of my biggest pet peeves about our industry is how protective people are. I worked at this one firm where literally there was a project architect and his like right-hand man. These two guys work together all the time. Wonderful, wonderful people, super delightful, did great work. 
they were wary of sharing their details with other people in the firm. In their own firm. Yeah, that's like, it's hard to get farther away from my mentality than those two. But yeah, lovely people. Yeah, it is a monumental task to shift an entire profession. Yeah, I think some of it is generational, right? That much of the changes happened in the last decade that have gone from very secretive and a fear of talking about money at any level, right? And we've talked about that before on the podcast about AIA and the antitrust lawsuits and all the things that came from that. And that really impacted the profession in a really negative way and built a culture of not sharing with one another. And on top of that, compounded is the fact that they, for generations, also discouraged marketing and, yeah. you know, the promotion. You weren't supposed to self-promote, right? That was beneath us as architects, as professionals. That's changed, right? This current generation no longer does that. The story of what architects do and what architects create is now being told widely throughout the world. And a lot of that is this generational shift, right? That this current generation of architects is the transition between that hiding and hoarding of information and that secretive culture to the very open of culture of my kids, you know, generation. They're sharing everything on the internet. Yeah. Literally every couple of minutes, they're sharing a photo or a, or a clip or something of their life on social media in some way. And so there is a massive transition of sharing of knowledge happening throughout the world at every level, but architecture too, that's also becoming a transition. Yeah. But it's such an easy way to do better work is to share and get feedback and, you know, talk with people. Like I definitely, when I think about my personal work, my best work is always stuff that I've talked with other people about, right? Yeah. I might still be doing all the bulk of the work, but I'm jumping on a video chat to talk with one of my sole practitioner friends and just talking through the problems. And sometimes it's not even that they're providing me ideas. It's just having a sounding board to talk through it. And once you yeah. explain it, you're like, oh, this is obviously the right idea or the wrong idea or whatever. So yeah, just talking to architects nonstop is the the answer for everything, right? Both yeah. for yeah. to make you a better architect and make other people better. So As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of that going on in that Facebook group. Yeah. We also have a, that started a few, maybe a year ago, maybe not even a year ago, Chris Novelli started in the Entree Architect membership and we open it up to everybody. Every Friday at noon, we do project crits and you can bring your project and you can show it to a panel of architects who show up. That's cool. And it's just a you know, dozen architects or whatever, whoever shows up, shows up with projects or they just show up to help. And it's in a very supportive, private, safe space that we're only there to help the architects build up their projects to be better projects. And so very collaborative and friendly environment, not like architecture school where, you know, crits used to be very, very negative and, you know, would tear students down in order to build them back up was the theory, I guess. But this is a very supportive and encouraging group. Project crits every Friday at noon. You can go check it out. That's great. Chris always posted a link in the Facebook group if anybody wants to show up. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that reminds me that I mentioned this Sprout group that we have and we would just like randomly get and I have a meeting, we just start talking about whatever. And sometimes when you just have kind of free for all architects in a room or in a wherever, it can go off the rails pretty quickly when someone's just ranting about energy code or reviewers, whatever. And so one of the things we've started doing is picking someone from our group and having them present for, you know, 20 to 40 minutes about whatever. Someone talked about their projects, someone talked about their history of how they, you know, built their firm. Someone else talked about some of the weird work they do. This one particular architect does forensic work. So he gets hired by lawyers to look at documents and like drawings for legal cases. And it's been fascinating to hear kind of people's passions, see people's work, but also give architects opportunities to practice speaking and telling their story. Because I think that's another thing that for someone like you and me, we're you know doing podcasts, we're giving lectures, we're used to being in front of crowds talking about both ourselves and kind of the wider architecture world. But I forget that you know the average architect may be giving presentations to clients, but doesn't necessarily 
get up in front of a room to talk about right. themselves or whatever kind of makes them tick, like we're you now doing today. How did Sprout start? What was the origin of that? That was, there was an architect in the community. I think he was becoming a sole practitioner. He had worked for a long time, a partnership, him and his wife, and then his wife retired. And so he was a sole practitioner. And he's like, how am I going to maintain this connection to the community? How am I going to like not go crazy, like working alone? So he reached out to the community and said, hey, I'm thinking about starting this. I jumped on it immediately because this is like, oh, architects helping architects, architects talking to architects. Yeah. And I also thought, hey, I run ArchiCAD user groups. This is just an ArchiCAD user group and I get to drop the ArchiCAD part. So I get to, you know, talk about all the other stuff. So he started it. I helped encourage it. I brought some of my younger tech savviness of like, we should start a doodle or an email chain or, or whatever kind of basics were needed a couple of years ago. And he ran it for maybe a year, 18 months. And it was a small group. And then he got a job with a firm and is like, I can't run a sole practitioner's group because I'm not a sole practitioner anymore. And it's like, well, I guess I'm running it. And my friend, Karen DeLucas joined in and the two of us have been co-leading it now for, I've lost track of how long it is. But the arc of that group, I think is really interesting because when it started back in, I don't know, 2015 or 2016, I'd just recently moved to Seattle was in that transition period of switching my firm over from whatever it was to whatever it is now. And I remember sitting in the room in the first meeting and everyone's telling war stories about permitting and construction and all this stuff. And I felt such an imposter because, I mean, at that time, I was a licensed architect. I had lots of experience, but I really hadn't built anything under my own name or most of my projects were like with collaborations with other architects and I'd hand it off and so I just felt that it was so green and I just felt out of place. Now, fast forward a couple of years, I've had my practice, I've done a ton of work in Seattle. And now I kind of feel like one of the elders in the group where I'm like, ah, reviewers and contractors and whatever. And so it's been just such a great experience to kind of make that transition from being excited about the group and looking for other people to help me being a little timid and then kind of growing with the group and now really being there at this point more to make sure everyone else in the group is getting what they need and is, you know, treating their businesses seriously and realizing that just because they're a sole practitioner, that they're an architecture firm, right? They're a valid business that they can think of themselves and treat themselves just like a 50-person firm or a 20-person firm, right? There's differences, but like you can walk into a room and be like, hi, I'm Jared. I'm the principal of Shunam Architects, right? Yep. I am. And so just helping other people in that group has been just delightful. Yeah. That's why I came up with the name of Entre Entrepreneur Architects. Yeah. Because I want to identify, you know, small firms as entrepreneurs. Yep. Yeah. That we are business people, right? That when you're in business, when you start your own firm, you're in business. Right. And therefore you are an entrepreneur, right? You've taken the risk to start this business. You're going to help the world, the work that you do. And your goal is to be successful so you can do lots of it and help the world in a really big way. Do you ever find that it's hard to do both, right? It's your passion to help others, but is it hard for you to practice and do the work that you do that's helping architects? It's a nonstop adventure balance struggle. I don't know. I don't know what the right word that is both like joy and constant weight of responsibility. Yes. So, and then add on to that, that I'm the primary caregiver for my kids. So. So you're full-time dad too. Yeah. Full, I, it's, my kids are 12 and 14. So it's like part-time dad at this point. Right. But it was full-time for a long time. It was. My wife is out of town right now. I've got a sick 14-year-old two rooms away and doing this podcast and I'm trying to deal with, you know, projects and emails and, and all that stuff. It is really tough. And I waffle back and forth between some days thinking, you know what, if I could stop all my work and just focus on helping people, I would love that. And then I think, yeah, but I'm not good at monetizing that. And I don't know if I want to be good at monetizing that. So I should maybe keep doing this. But it's a struggle to find a balance because I tell people 
in the ArchiCAD world, anyone who reaches out to me, especially people who I have trained or who've, you know, supported my template, I'm always like, hey, if you're working ArchiCAD and you're struggling, like at some point, just shoot me a text or shoot me an email or give me a call. If it's five minutes, I'm happy to talk with you and get you over that hump because what's super easy for me to describe to you, if that's going to save you a day, right? Please, please call me. Not everyone takes me up on that offer, which is great because then I would not have any time, but I definitely spend, you know, it could be five minutes a day. It could be an hour a day just helping other architects. And it's, you talked about that dopamine hit earlier. It's sometimes so great. Someone calls and they're just so grateful. And whether or not it's a paid thing, just the feeling of like you made a difference today with another architect who can now go make a difference for other people's days is so great. And it can be distracting, you know, when you're just, cranking on a permit set or trying to pick up red lines or just just some like drudgery of being an architect. And then someone calls and they're like, hey, you're wonderful. Can you help me? And you solve a problem that's so easy to solve. It's, you know, you just want to do that again. You don't want to, yeah. you know, yeah. click the mouse a bunch. But I had a professor at Rice University, Spencer Parsons, and he was a delight. He told us one day that he stopped being a practicing architect because he spent all his time thinking about his students' work. And he was more interested and passionate about what his students were doing than his own projects. And so he practiced architecture for a while and was very talented, but eventually just gave it up because now that I reflect on it, obviously the balance of doing two jobs, whether it's teaching and practicing, whether it's doing what we do and practicing or whatever it is, is always tough. But I think a lot about him just caring more about other people's work than his own. And there's definitely days where I feel that, where it's like, okay, if you know, I could just help you solve your problem so your design is what you want it to be and it's what your client wants it to be, that's just, that feels really nice. And maybe part of it's because then I can just go to sleep and if there's another problem in that project, like it's not my fault or my problem. It's yeah. well, unless they call me, but yeah. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today. 
the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. Do you find any feeling that you're afraid to stop the architecture side because you'll lose the identity of being an architect? I think about that a lot. You know, I found that when I went to architecture school or before architecture school, I was a lot of things, right? And then the process of being in architecture school is like that you shed more and more of your personality and more and more of your interests because all you have time is studio, right? right? So by the time you leave architecture school, at least by the time I left architecture school, architect or becoming an architect was such a big piece of who I was. And then, right. then you spend years just trying to get licensed, right? So it's just like, achieving this goal and you finally achieve that and you're like, ah, now I get to be the thing I have wanted to be. And then at some point you start realizing, well, there's a lot of other things you want to do. And it's a tough process to think like I could stop being an architect, right? I could just go and help people. I could just be an Archicad guru. I'm like a lot of architects. I'm interested in development and I'm collaborating with two friends on our first development, or it's my first development, it's one of their second development. And so, yeah, I think, you know, five years from now, do I need to be a practicing architect? And I question every day. Yeah. And so the thing that I come back to, it's tough. There's two things is one, if I stopped practicing architecture tomorrow, I have been an architect, right? I have, I have 20 years of experience to lean on to help me help other architects. And there's times where the main reason I was still practicing and still wanting to be an architect is so that I gained experience and knowledge to help other people, right? And at some point, I'm super curious to hear what you think of this one is like, at some point you think, okay, well, I could get more knowledge, but I have to accept that I have enough to do what I need to do to help other architects be better. You can always learn more, right? But like, yep. I've permitted enough buildings. I've dealt with enough construction sites. I've dealt with enough contractors. I've designed enough buildings that I can have a conversation about any of these things with whomever. And so do I need to keep doing these things if there are other things that are architecture adjacent that you know I want to do? And I think I'm realizing that I don't need to keep practicing to continue to do the adjacent things I love. But at the same time, I think... I could just do architecture until I'm 100, right? However many years I have left, I could just do that. And at some point I could just do fewer projects. I could do one a year. I could do two a year. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I'm never going to have an answer to that one, but. It's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah. Because of what you described, right? The process to become an architect is excruciating. Yeah. It takes a decade, right? Of time or more to get to the point where you can call yourself an architect. and for me, my personal opinion, and I know there are people out there who will argue with me, but I will be an architect to the day I die, whether I practice or not. Yeah. But I've achieved to become an architect. I've become licensed. I've practiced. I am an architect. And whether I'm practicing or not, whether I'm licensed or not, and I know I'll get pushed back on that, I am an architect to the day I die. Yeah. And I encourage others to be the same, right? Not to go out and practice without being a licensed. I'll never do that. And I don't encourage people to do that. But the identity of being an architect, I will be forever. Yeah. And I think you should as well, if you ever choose to stop practicing. The way I look at it is that at my journey to become an architect and becoming an architect is just that. It is part of my journey, right? That I am on a path. And my purpose, I believe, is to help other architects because that's the way I can impact the world. And so it's not like I'm throwing away something that I've earned. I had to do all of that, right? I had to go through architecture school and I didn't know it at the time, right? Looking back, it's easy to connect dots. But I believe that's all part of my journey. It's all part of the path. I've gone through architecture school and I decided to be an architect when I was 10. So that journey started when I was 10, right? I locked into architecture when I was 10 yeah. and there was nothing else on my path. I was going to be an architect. And so to get to the point in 2019 where I moved from New York to North Carolina, and we stopped practicing architecture in 2019, mostly because of the pandemic and we haven't yet started up again, but Entree Architect grew and Gable Media grew and my path continued without 
the practice side. And so I look at that as that's just what had to be done to get me to where I am today and where I'm going. Right. Right. Which I don't know. Right. I have a plan where I'm going, but I know where I end up is not going to be what I have planned. Right. It's just going to be where I end up. Yeah. But I'll have to go through all those steps to get there. I think about it that, yeah, you become an architect and architects design buildings, but not all buildings are designed by architects and not all architects design buildings, right? That you can yep. use all of this history and all this knowledge to do more than just design. I mean, this gets down even to the fundamental of like, if you're trying to rank the hierarchy of architects, is it design architect, then production architect, like any of that, you know, garbage arguments of like, who's the best architect? Maybe the best architect out there is not any of the names we know. It's just some guy toiling away in the upper Midwest who knows the ins and outs of every code and can get like a Chipotle permitted in record time, right? Like there's so much about being an architect that is beyond just like designing yeah. the Bilbao Museum, right? Like there's just... For sure. I believe, and I've talked about this here as well, is that I, I don't even think that architects need to design buildings. Right. I think that we have such a great education and our superpowers as architects are problem solvers, right? It's one of my favorite moments is to be... This actually just happened last week. In fact, I was at a client's house for a pre-construction meeting. It was the client, the two clients, husband and wife, contractor, and like the lead carpenter myself. And we're walking through the project, trying to identify some issues, just getting ready to start construction. And someone made some joke about, I don't know, like a dog stare or something totally unrelated to the project. And everyone's just joking. And I'm just now riffing and just throwing out ideas. And I came to some ridiculous one. The client's like, that's a really good idea. I'm like, yeah, this is what we're trying to do is to to design <laughs> and come up with ridiculous ideas. And sometimes one is kind of genius. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I love those moments, whether it's yeah. architecture or problem solving with my kids in the kitchen or again, playing music. It's just using those problem solving skills and then getting to use those to help other architects, right? To bring it back to what we talked about is like, that's what I care about is problem solving, right? So Five years from now, am I still an architect? I don't know, but I'm sure I'm doing something problem-solving-y architect adjacent because yeah, because that's that's what I'm built for. And it will be part of your journey. You'll have right gone through all of that journey, you know, taking all those steps, acquiring all that information, and making all those connections, and building your network, and learning all those skills, and it will take you somewhere. Right. And if you choose to, it will impact others. Yeah. As a sole proprietor, this is, I think, the other piece of this that's important is I sometimes think about, oh, I should have employees. I should grow a firm. One of the things that I just loved so much about working for Sala Architects in Minnesota was it was this big collaborative family with lots of people. And the way Dale Mulfinger grew that business or continues to grow that business of just like bringing people on board and training and teaching and, you know, like doing this kind of what we do, but in just one firm is just, I just love that. And I thought that was going to be my life. And now as a sole proprietor, I think, okay, I should try and replicate that. That's wonderful. But then I think, well, I got to take my kid to an orthodontist appointment tomorrow. And <laughs> yeah. I had to pick her up from school early on Monday and I got to go to the grocery store and I got to do all these other things. I want to play music tonight. And I realized I can just do that same internally focused firm experience, which is super important. I can just do that for the wider world for, you know, especially other sole proprietors who don't have that mentor, that boss, or that intern to talk to. Yeah. That also brings up the idea that our lives are the result of the choices that we make. Yeah. Right. That yes, you could build that firm, right. But building a firm of 20 people and making it successful takes an incredible amount of dedication and focus and time, right? And so you would have to choose to do that. And you would have to choose to not do other things. Yeah, You would have to literally choose to sacrifice other things. One of those being being home with your kids, yeah. right? And so that's a choice that you need to make. Yes, you could do both, right? But you probably can't build that 20-person firm at the level that you'd want to if you are also helping the architects through Shunome and 
you know, being there as a full-time dad and all of the other things that you do, right? And so there is a choice that you need to make, which is why I don't practice architecture, right? I should at this point, pandemic's over, should relaunch the firm, right? My wife would love that, <laughs> who's also an architect and my partner. But my choice is to continue growing Entree Architect and Gable Media, which means I've had to sacrifice my practice for that. Right. And that's a really hard decision, but that's the reality is that in order to succeed at a high level of doing anything, you have to focus and dedicate yourself to it. And it's hard to do both. Absolutely. That I think actually is, I just feel like now we're just in therapy here because <laughs> thinking about like, okay, if I could have five employees tomorrow, but I'd have to stop recording occasional YouTube videos and sharing my template because I just wouldn't have time to do some of these things for other people. All that energy would have to be for my employees. Yeah. That'd make me so sad. I just don't think I could do that. And so maybe, hopefully people listening to this are encouraged to be like, okay, I should help other people or I should look for help, right? Not everyone wants to or is capable or for whatever reasons want to be just like another you or me, but there's people like us, including us out there who want to help. So, so look for that. But I think this is also a good reminder that there's not one ideal of what it looks like to be an architect or have a successful business. Right. And that from the outside, it might seem strange to be like, oh, well, you had a successful practice and now you moved to another state and you just stopped. Or right. you have people knocking on your door all the time. You could get so much work. You could have a million employees. Why aren't you not a sole proprietor? It's like, oh, because there's other things that are so fundamental to who I am as an architect and who I am as a business person and what my passions are that those don't align, at least from my perspective, don't align with this standard business format. So I have to look for something different. I think people need to hear that and to know that you can be a very successful, impactful architect and it's not the level of validation or, you know, it's not that it's, you have to design giant buildings or design award-winning buildings or, you know, win the Pritzker or whatever, that there's a lot of ways to be a successful architect and to have big impact on the lives of other people. Yeah. I think there's also something that people have to keep in mind is that this is a journey, right? There is a timeline Yeah, and you can do it all. You just can't do it all now, Yeah, right? You can't do it all at the same time. And so my practice is not canceled, right? Yeah. My practice is on hold. My practice right now, I'm in the season of developing Entree Architect into something that it could become. Right. And so therefore I need to focus on that architecture for me, practice of architecture and working with developing buildings is literally on hold. It's just not now, right? It's going to be part of my timeline. It was part of my timeline yeah. early on. It got to me to where I am today and it will be part of my timeline in the future. And so that's something that I like to remind people is that you're frustrated that you can't do it all, right? That you can't help everybody and you can't grow this platform that you want and you can't grow the firm you want, but maybe you don't have to do it all now. Maybe you focus on one thing, right. build that into something really special. And then that could either continue on without you or with less support from you. And you can then bring on the other things that you want to, that's part of your passion, right? Architecture is still a passion of mine. Right. And I don't want to not ever practice again. Yeah. That's such a good point because it can also be kind of a situation where you're in where it's a pause and you come back to architecture or others of us who at some point more for a taper off, it just evolve what we're doing. I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but when I look at Shunome, if I look at the revenue streams that I've had over the past 12 years, every three to four years, it basically turns over. And so the way I made money the first three years of business was different than the way I made money the next three or four, which is different than the next four or five. And so you just, you know, we're kind of always evolving. I, I think about too that, like, totally right that if we have good health, barring tragedy, all the things where you don't know what the future is holding, but if you assume good things are coming, right, and you're lucky enough to have those good things coming, like, we all have long careers ahead of us, right? You think about like, 
Oscar Niemeyer, right? He practiced for a billion years and I am pay practice forever. Or you think about someone like Louis Kahn, who his career started what I think I feel like he was like 50-ish before any of his real, like the work that we know of, you know, happened. So a lot of us who are still in our 30s, 40s, even 50s, like theoretically, we're still in the first half of our career. And there's so much that can happen. I'm 53 and I've just started. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I can guarantee you. I mean, we look back. You're 53. So how long until you don't have kids at home and you suddenly have more exactly. space to explore more things? And more things doesn't have to be exactly right. more buildings, right? It can be whatever. That's exactly right. That's how I look at it, right? Is that when our kids were young, Anne-Marie and I started our practice together, literally in our house, so we could raise the kids together. Yeah. Right. That was our primary focus at the time. That's awesome. Raise good, healthy kids. Right. And then those kids got to your kid's age and you have a little bit more flexibility and, and the entree architect thing took off. And so I could spend a little bit more time on that. Still practicing. Anne-Marie spent more time on the architecture side. And then now my oldest is out and starting business. He's out living in New York City. My middle one just moved to Maine and I have one left. My daughter is a sophomore in high school. And so my life is completely different than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And so the choices that I make today are very different than the choices I made 10 years ago. And I did it all, right? My wife and I got to raise our kids the way we wanted to raise them. The practice didn't grow to the level that we wanted it to while we were raising our kids. And then the kids got a little bit older and the firm got much more successful because we can spend more time on the firm. Things change and they all have their season. They all have their place. Yeah. And so that's something that we have to remember that it is a long life. If you're healthy and things go as hopefully we have planned, there's lots of time to do the things that we want to do. Yeah, that's a whole other topic, just like managing, growing a firm and raising a family. Like that's another good podcast topic but sometimes i have projects to work on and it's just way more interesting to problem solve stuff with my kids it's just such a treat but yeah yeah i don't have anything else to add on to that other than that totally in sync <laughs> that is one of those choices you made right yeah is yeah. to be home with your kids and you've integrated your business with your family which is another yeah the entrepreneur architect lifestyle is fantastic yeah right we have this opportunity with the tools that we have and the access that we have right? It allows us to do these things. It allows us to practice and raise our families. It allows us to create great architecture and work with other architects and share things or do side businesses or create passive income, right? We can do all of those things because of the time that we live and the tools that we have. But that's what's so great about being an entrepreneur architect is that you can do those things today. Absolutely. It's a great lifestyle. It's not necessarily always the easiest day to day. No. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. But for me, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. You know, that those times with my kids and being able to go to the swim meets and the rowing regattas and to be there whenever I wanted to be there, right? Because it was my business, my schedule. I could spend the time to do the things that I want when I wanted. Again, choices. Yeah. Right? I got to choose to do that. And I think also just it's so important for anyone who's in the thick of that. And I feel like your kids are older than mine, but we're kind of coming out of that back end of that small business centered around family and able to now morph it into whatever weird things we want to morph it into is that it's such a valid and worthwhile experience for those who want to go down that path. And if you end up at a college reunion and you're doing like two projects a year because you're a part-time stay-at-home parent, and you're talking to your classmate who went an equally valid different path and is like choices already project architect or principal of some firm that like you don't have to shrink and be like oh i have a whatever firm's like you have a firm yep. you're doing business you're doing great like just to value all the hard work you're doing is i think so important for small architects to understand and register especially when it's going after clients and like showing up at someone's house and be like, you should hire me and spend tens and thousands, hundreds, millions of dollars to do whatever you want. And I'm going to be your guide. And that it's okay that you 
work from your house and you can't have meetings on Wednesday mornings for whatever reason, like right. it's part of the path. Yeah. And another thing that's beneficial from the era that we live in is that we have this community, right? This online community yeah. that we can reach out to at any time, right? So you can be a sole practitioner raising your family and practicing and have that communication with hundreds or thousands of architects at any time by just going on the internet and saying, hey, you know, I want to be part of this community and engage and build friendships and relationships and have a question. You ask the question and you get 50 answers. Yeah. Right. With no judgment. Right. It just, yeah. here's the answer. Let me help you. And there's absolutely no way I could have done what I've done over the past 12 years without the support of all the other architects who are doing similar things. You know, whether it's, you know, my friend here in Seattle, Carrie Westerbeck, who I worked with him on a couple of projects when he first moved to town. And then, like, without his support, I would have launched my business eventually, but his support was so instrumental for like elevating what I did and launching me. And it's that's been an interesting relationship to go from, you know, he taught me the ropes of Seattle, right? The number one thing for anyone who's moving to a new town, I'm going to digress from talking about my wonderful friend for a second, is like get involved with the community and find someone who can teach you the ropes. The way I learned the ropes of being a practicing architect in Seattle, which was very different from practicing in Minneapolis, St. Paul was working with Carrie and another Archicad using architect. That's how I met everyone is through Archicad, but working with them, helping them on their projects, feeling comfortable calling Carrie up and being like, Hey, I finally have my own project. I don't know what I'm doing. Please like answer my question. <laughs> he was super helpful. He got me going and like, it's just so wonderful. We've now collaborated on tons of things and his career has shifted. So he now calls me for questions. We're developing a project together. It's been a great friendship, great business partnership, all these things. But it all stemmed from me asking the community, like, I need to meet architects, him raising his hand, and then just kind of beneficial helping each other. It's been so priceless. So if I ever leave Seattle, I know that's the thing I have to do is like dive into the community, find the local group that helps other architects. And if it doesn't exist, start it so that I can, you know, get it going. And yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to wrap things up is that I hear all the time from architects who have not discovered communities, right? That architecture is such a negative practice, right? That architecture is still so hidden and secretive. You have to find a different community then, right? Because there are communities yeah. that are not that, right? And so you need to find those communities and then you need to spread the word. Yeah. that things are different, things have changed, that there are architects out there who are out there who are dedicated to helping other architects yeah. and whole communities dedicated to helping everybody in that community with transparency and encouragement and support. The firm, the practice has transitioned, right? We are in that process now. And so if you are one of those architects that have that feeling about the practice, that it's negative and that it's secretive, the way that it used to be, then you need to look elsewhere because you will find friends and you'll find support and encouragement in safe places. And so just look for them. They're there. Absolutely. And I think just to plug the Entree Architect Facebook group again is like, I love that kind of national, international community. And if you find yourself and you really want to be able to meet up for beers or to have regular talks about your specific locality, I think both through local AIA groups or just saying, hey, I live in Hartford, Connecticut. Who else is in the area? Entree Architect Group, let's start a local meetup. Yeah. You will be flooded with people, yeah. right? Even if you live somewhere weird and, or not weird, but you know, not New York City, right? Like somewhere where you're, you forget that there's lots of other architects around you. And so, yeah, it's just so important to reach out. And a lot of this just takes one person saying, Hey, who wants to do a happy hour? Who wants to meet monthly to talk? And yeah, there's such a need. Oh, there's also so many people who are just isolated and don't know that. And so it's a lot of you start it, it takes time, word of mouth, and you run into people and everyone's excited. Yeah. Imagine how many people you can help if you're the one that starts it. Right. Right. That if you're feeling that way, there are many others who feel that way too. Absolutely. So do it. 
Jared, let me ask you the one question because maybe we'll have a different answer. Or I'm sure you'll have a different answer than you did last time. Yeah. The one question I ask all my guests is what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I should have remembered that you're going to ask this so I could have a prepared answer. Based on what we've been talking about, what do you think is the first step, the one thing that somebody should do? Okay. So the one thing I would say to do, because you're listening to this podcast, you're already involved with the Entree Architect community. I would say go to the Facebook group or go wherever in this community that you're a part of and do a local meetup. That's a great answer. Just yeah. Find other architects in your community and meet for coffee, meet at a brew pub, wherever, do that and just see where it goes. Yeah, that's a great answer. I definitely, I want to see all of those invitations in the Facebook group of all the different architects. That'd be great. Taking action on that one. Jared Banks, I appreciate you for the work that you do, the dedication that you've given to this profession through Shunome and Sprout and all the other work that you do. Always ready to help, always ready to inspire others and share your knowledge. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. If you want to check out what Jared is doing, it's shunome.com. It's S H O E, like a shoe. Gnome is G N O M E, shunome.com. Go check them out and say hi and Go download the Shunome open template. Go ahead. And also join the Learning to BIM Facebook group because we're both there and I like helping people there too. So Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Yep. This has been wonderful. I love having these conversations with you, Mark. It's just always a treat. So anytime. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for suggesting this conversation. This is very different, right? This is, is sort of a two-way conversation and it was inspiring and fun to do. So thanks for the suggestion. We'll talk soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so 
overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.